Guys, come out for a night of worship next week. If you've never been a part of it, best way to end a semester. You've got to be a part of it. We are wrapping up, though. If you've been with us, we've been in the uh, book of Ephesians, slowly walking through that throughout the course of the semester. So open your Bible to Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22 through 33. It says, Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, guys, so we're talking about marriage. I don't know if you picked that up. Uh, we're talking about marriage tonight. And here's one thing I want to acknowledge I realize there's like two married people in the room, me and Leo, I think. Uh, and so there aren't too many of you in that situation currently. Um, but two things I want to say to kick it off. One, just about everyone's probably thinking about marriage uh, at some point in their life, not just because I said it, but some of us are, are thinking about it, thinking forward to it. Um, and two, you all need a vision for something before you jump into it. Like, we need to have a right understanding of what the mission and meaning of marriage is before you enter into it, because that radically affects who you choose to marry. And I think it's important for us to see this biblical view, because whether we know it or not, culture is feeding us a ton of ideas of what it looks like to be in a relationship with someone, and what it looks like for that relationship to work well together. So we're going to jump right into it, guys. You ready? We're talking about The Bachelor, okay? I know, I know the most recent is The Bachelorette. Uh, that reaction tells me a lot. Um, but let's just, let's just walk through the storyline of The Bachelor, Bachelorette, whatever you want to talk about. You start off with 25 people who are usually attractive, usually uh, successful people. And then throughout the course of this show, you slowly vote people off based on them not providing for you what you need, okay? So they don't get that rose. And basically, throughout the whole course of this show, the way that you weed people out is you go on these incredibly extravagant dates, uh, intimate moments, things like that, to basically figure out who is going to give you the feeling of falling in love the longest. Who is going to make you feel those feelings that you want the longest? But here's the thing. As soon as someone does not provide those for you, they bounce. Like, they're out of the equation. They have nothing left to provide for you, so they're not getting that rose. 
Basically, you're asking, who can make me feel the feeling of falling in love the longest? Here's the hilarious thing about The Bachelor, guys. There's been 28 seasons. How many do you think ended in a marriage? Two, wow, lower. Okay, five. Okay, a little bit better, but five. That's 17%. I don't know if any of you want to do 17% on any test, but The Bachelor, 17% of those relationships end in a marriage. Here is The Bachelor's understanding of a relationship. You need to find somebody who provides everything you need. You need to find someone that satisfies the deepest longings of your soul and makes you feel complete as a person. Like, that's it. You know, it's not too much to ask. You, you need to find someone to fulfill that longing in your heart who will always do these grand romantic gestures that will always make you feel like you are in love. You will always have that feeling of being in love. And once they stop providing that for you, they're out of the equation. And I know what some of you might be thinking, okay, Drake, like, I'm not looking for something that extreme, right? Like, I'm not looking for a helicopter ride to a private island. I'm looking for dinner. Like, that's all I need. I just want a date. Um, but what I want you to see is that a lot of you, if you look at the foundation of your understanding of a relationship, it would be the same of that of The Bachelor, that if you took your understanding of a relationship and carried it to its extreme, that's exactly what it would be. We see it play out in our culture. We need to live with someone for a couple years before we marry them to figure out if, they, if there's any quirks, if there's anything that doesn't jive well with us. And so even though it might not be to that extreme, we still live that out. Guys, this is such a dumb way to build a relationship. That's why it just doesn't work on the show. And here's the thing. This is how so many relationships are built in our culture and in our society today. So many relationships built on this idea that you need to provide everything for me, otherwise I'm out. And we've seen people feel let down and hurt and bitterness grow. And people in this room have had a front row seat to that with their parents. They felt the hurt of people expecting everything in a marriage and that not measuring up because we are broken people that it will never measure up in a marriage. It makes sense that this foundation for a relationship is incredibly broken. And here's what we see in Ephesians 5. The picture that God has for a relationship is so much better. Guys, so much better is the relationship that God is calling us to. And how can we know this? How can we know that God is ultimately working for our good in this picture that he has of a relationship? Because ultimately this conversation isn't about making marriage everything in this text. Like if you look throughout this text, you'll see time and time again that it talks about Christ and his bride, the church, as much as it talks about wives and husbands, maybe even more. And so it's pointing us to realize that marriage is actually meant to point us to the ultimate marriage that we will be a part of one day. That marriage is meant to be a giant arrow that directs us to see the beauty of what Christ did for his bride. Guys, if Christ had the same posture that's seen in The Bachelor, there's no way he would have come for us. 
He looked down and saw a mess of a bride. If you're feeling broken, like you've got some issues, welcome to the bride of Christ. That is exactly what Christ looked down and saw. And he didn't say, hey, you need to get your act together. He didn't say, I'm coming because you're beautiful. He said, I'm coming to make you beautiful. I'm coming to this earth to die in your place, to welcome you into a relationship that you never deserved, but I'm going to earn for your sake. And so if you don't know Jesus, realize that he has accomplished everything for you to be invited into that relationship. And now we, the broken bride of Christ, can be in relationship with the creator of the universe. We now are in this harmonious relationship with Jesus where we are denying ourselves by submitting to him and he is leading us in the form of serving us to the point of death that we might be brought in with the goal of making us perfect. And all of that leading to the flourishing, to the joy, to the contentment, satisfaction of the bride This picture of marriage is beautiful. This picture of marriage is profound. And this is the picture that God wants us to experience for those of you who will be married. And what we see as we look at marriage and see that it's merely an arrow to us being the bride of Christ, what that says is that you don't actually need to be married to find contentment. You don't need to be married to find joy and satisfaction in this life because you are already the bride of Christ. Marriage is meant to point you to that reality. And so for the rest of your life, whether you're single or married, you can walk in the joy of contentment in Christ. And that's what he's inviting you into now. That's what he wants you to walk in if you get married as well. And so what we need to see it is the beauty of God's image of marriage here. And what we need to see is that in this idea of relationships and um, whether it's things that we, relationships that we've seen or what advice we're hearing, there's so many opinions on what a relationship should be. Like maybe you've heard stuff from your parents or you've seen it played out in your parents. Maybe you're seeing it in media. Maybe you're seeing it in your friend group. And a lot of times, the Bible can seem like just another opinion in the circle. Like the Bible also has his opinion. But what we need to see that the Bible is not just another word in the circle, but it is the authoritative word on marriage that all other opinions submit to. And we're going to look in this passage in Ephesians 5. It's going to quote Genesis 2 where it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. If you know uh, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2 is back when things were perfect in the Garden of Eden. Okay, Genesis 3 is when the fall went down, but we see that they're pointing back to Genesis 2 to say this was the original design. This was God's intent for a marriage to flourish, and he's calling us to experience that. And so since we see that this is tied back to when things are perfect, we see that he's calling us back to that reality. And if, I want you to hear this, if we feel any pushback as we sit under this teaching, if you feel any pushback as you read this text, 
It is not the word that is spoken tonight. It is not this scripture that is a result of the broken world. This text is inerrant. This text is perfect. It's not the scripture that's a result of the broken world. It's our response to the scripture that's a result of the broken world. It's us wrestling with submitting ourselves to Jesus yet again and understanding that his will for our life is for our flourishing and therefore every command that he gives is for our flourishing. And so what I want to say is as we walk through this difficult passage, be aware, are you right now in a spirit ready to critique? And I just want to say set aside that spirit and lean in And ask the question, why would this be God's good design? Why would this be what he is playing out for our flourishing and for our good? So before we jump into this section, I think it's important to touch on a little bit of what Tony spoke on. So if we look at verses 18 through 21, this is kind of the platform that Paul is speaking to launch into this topic of marriage. So it says, But be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what he's saying is once the Spirit impacts a community of people, there is this posture, like we have this posture of submitting to one another. So what that means is that I seek to deny myself for the good of you. And that you seek to deny yourself for the good of me and everyone else in this room. That is that mutual posture that we all have when the Spirit is flowing within us. But now, Paul's going to be talking about a very unique relationship that's different than employer-employee, that's different than brothers and sisters in Christ, that's different than boyfriend and girlfriend. He's talking about marriage. And so he starts it off by saying, wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I think it's important for us to look at what that word submit means. If we were to understand that word, what God is saying is that he wants the wife to see the husband as the one to lead the family. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, to lead the family well. And the wife is then entrusting herself to the leadership of the husband. Now, I think it's important for us to note that this doesn't just say, wives, submit to your own husbands and end there. It says, as to the Lord. And so what, because we see this word even later in this text, that in everything, we kind of feel like a little tension, like, what does he mean by everything? Like, does he mean everything? And so we wrestle with that. And I want to point out that in no way is God talking about following and submitting to a husband in anything that leads to sin or anything that leads to abuse. And we know that that has nothing to do with the heart of God. That's nothing to do with what he wants to get across in this passage. But in every way that he is seeking to be obedient to the Lord, in every way that he's seeking to make wise decisions for the family, that is the call. And we see that it's ultimately not just obedience to him, but you're seeking to be obedient to Jesus. Like this is God's call for the wife to take part in the mission of God within the marriage context. And here's what I want to point out. Because guys, I, I realize that right away to the girls in the room, this probably feels like a lesser 
existence. Like this feels like a lesser value that's being communicated. But what I want to point out is that this idea of submission we see clearly in the life of Jesus. And if it is played out in the life of Jesus, it cannot be a lesser value. Because Jesus was 100% God. The Father was 100% God. The Holy Spirit is 100% God. So if it can't be that, we see Jesus honoring the Father by submitting to him and coming to this earth to die for our sin and then to raise in victory. He submitted to the Father and carried out that role to carry forth the mission of God. And for the wives, he's saying, I want you to walk in obedience and to follow the example of Jesus, a very honorable example. I want you to follow that in your marriage that will lead to the flourishing of your marriage, that will lead to the mission of God being carried out. So it's not a lesser value that God is looking at you with. It's uh, the way to walk in obedience and following the example of Christ. It's giving up one's desire to submit yourself under the mission of God. So why is this the call for the wife in marriage? We look at the next part of the text. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So it's saying that Christ is the head of the church. And so what that means is that Christ is seeking to lead out in every way for his bride. He's seeking to care for in every way. He's seeking to die to himself for every, in every way that he can for his bride. He's seeking to lift up and cause his bride to flourish. And in the same way, the husband is meant to do that exact thing within a marriage. To look after, to care for, to die to himself, to seek the betterment of, to prop up the giftings to flourish And something I want us to see is the significance that that means in a marriage. Because I want to ask, like, where do you guys feel the most weight as you read this passage? My guess is it's two words in. That term submit a lot of times creates the most weight, and my fear is that it causes us, once we read that word, to read and skim through the rest of this passage and miss the very point that Paul is trying to cause us to feel the most weight, to cause the women to feel the most weight. He's saying there's incredible significance to who you choose to be the head of your family. Like, this is not a light decision. You are choosing someone to lead your family to know and love Jesus more for the rest of your life. Don't take it lightly. That is where we should feel the weight of this moment. And I want to ask a couple questions for the girls in the room who are currently talking to or or dating someone. Is he a Christian? Is he a follower of Jesus? And I don't want to confuse this with how you might be convincing yourself that he's following Jesus. Like every once in a while, he might come to Salt Company to make you happy. He might learn some of the language. Like I, I don't want you to be convincing yourself of that. Do you feel like you are leaning away from some of the people that you normally would receive wisdom and direction 
when it comes to following Jesus? Do you feel like you're pushing yourself away at all because of this relationship that you're in? Because I want you guys to see from this text what God wants for you, what God's desire in marriage is, not that you would be with a man who can merely put up with Jesus, but be with a man who will die for you like Jesus did. And that posture is only going to be in his heart if he is following Jesus, if Jesus is in his heart. How does he treat people? Does he hold grudges with people? Like when you're with him, is he talking negatively about people and everything in his life is going great, but other people are the issue? How does he treat or speak about his parents? Specifically his mom. Because here's a scary reality. How he treats his mother, one of the most comfortable relationships in his life, is how he will treat you one day in marriage. Does it seem like he's pulling you away from community? Like he's trying to pull it, you aside to make it this one-on-one thing. Like we don't need all those people. It's just us. Is he tugging you away from community? Because what I want you to see is that he is pulling you away from Christ. Is he causing you to know and love Jesus more? Or is he tugging you away? And if, if that is a statement that explains a guy that you're talking to, I want you to hear from me, get that punk out of your life. Seriously. Literally end it with him. You're not committed to him. You're not submitting to this man. Like you are freed up to leave because here's the scary thing. Imagine over the course of a lifetime slowly walking further and further away from Jesus. Okay, he's not worth your time. He's not worth your heart. He is leading you away from the most intimate relationship and I've seen this, guys. I've seen this time and time again. A guy starts dating a girl and he's really good at putting on the image that you might need. He's really good at convincing you that he is walking with Jesus because he can say the right things. He can do the right things. And the sad thing that I see, once the relationship gets more comfortable, once they feel more committed, I stop seeing her a little bit more at Saul coming. I stop seeing her a little bit more at church. Their connection group leaders stop seeing them come to connection group as well. And there's really two paths that could happen. If you join yourself in marriage with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you're either one, going to walk away from Jesus, or two, you are going to have to hide the most intimate part of your heart from one of the most, re- one of the most intimate relationships in your life. And that is terrifying. And so I want you I want you to hear, I want want you to find a man that you respect. Like hear from me, if there's no one else speaking this in your life, I want you to be with a man that you respect and that can lead your family well. Because my fear, my honest fear, is that some of you would be settling for a guy right now who is just covering up a temporary fear or insecurity of being alone. That he might make you feel good for a moment, 
But what you need to realize is that that is going to be a terrible decision that will affect you for the rest of your life. And you need to realize that that feeling of fear and insecurity, Jesus has already done away with on the cross. He has already invited you in to the most intimate relationship you could ever have, and that is what he's asking you to realize. And so that's the call. Find somebody that you respect. Find someone that knows and loves Jesus and will lead the family because that will radically affect the way that you view this word submit. It speaks to the husbands next. So it it clarifies a little bit of like what it looks like for the husband to be the head of the wife in the next verse. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what does it look like for you to love the church? Or what does it look like for you to love your wife? It means giving up your life like Jesus did. And that's no small ask. And some we feel the weight a little bit more of what the husbands are demanded. And this is not like a worldly perspective of headship, where we sit in some authority and we give commands and we speak down, but it's actually a godly form of headship where you are willing to lay down your life for the sake of your spouse. That we are willing to bring our heart underneath someone else's for the serve and for the care of someone else. And guys, we, like, we get, we understand that this is the role of the man in some circumstances. Like, it's clear to us. One example, uh, last week, my wife and I woke up at about, about 2 a.m. to this loud sound downstairs. I just wake up to my wife, and <gasps> like, in that moment. And you know what I didn't say to Paige? Hey, Paige, um, heard something downstairs. I'm a little tired right now. I'm a little freaked out by this sound. Do you mind? Do you mind just go checking it out? Just doing a one, quick one loop. Like, no, that, that is not what I said. I, I, I stormed out of the room and all my, it was, our Christmas tree fell over. So that was it. Um, ornaments crashed, water went everywhere. It was, it was incredible. But guys, we understand that that is the role of the man. He is meant to die to himself, even though I wasn't as extravagant there. Um, he is meant to serve his spouse. And if we look in on this word love in this passage, it comes from the Greek word agape. And so if we understand that word, what it means is that it is a love that's not based on feelings or emotions. It is completely based on action. Like, it is this gritty type of love that no matter what the wife does on a given day, no matter, no matter how she treats him, whether she sins against him or not, whether she loves him or not, I am choosing to love you. Because that's what we see in the gospel. We see a love that's based on action, not on some feeling that needs to be there before we do so. And this is ultimately shown in the story of the cross. So we see in verse 26 that Christ gave himself up that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Again, guys, Christ looked down at us. He looked down at his bride and didn't see anything impressive. 
Guys, he, he wasn't amazed by how we were living. We were actually, all he saw were our backs because we were running away from him. We wanted nothing to do with him. That is the reality of what he was looking down. But he was like, no, I'm willing to pursue you, to love you, to die for you because through that you will be made perfect, you will be made beautiful, you will be able to exist in relationship with me. And so again, we see he didn't come because we were beautiful. He came to make us beautiful. And I love that in this passage, guys, we understand how broken we are. But the, what it's fixated on in this passage is not how broken the bride is, but how far the groom went for his bride. And so it doesn't matter how far off you feel, Jesus came and died for you. It's finished. And that is a story that we can have so much confidence in. Guys, I heard a story once about a father who was trying to instill in his young boy kind of this posture of dying to himself. So he had some other sisters and obviously some other friends that, that were girls. And so he would lean into his little boy and he would repeatedly say this line, the boy goes down, the girl goes free. And so he's repeating this to his son over and over just to instill that posture. The boy goes down, the girl goes free. And so one day, he's working in his home office before it was, you know, everyone's office. So he's working at his desk. He's looking out the window, and he sees on this steep street that's right outside their window, he sees this little boy just humming it down this hill in a red wagon. So the dude is just like flying down this thing completely out of control, literally has no ability to stop himself. And, he's, and the dad's just heart is pounding, but he feels paralyzed like, what am I supposed to do right now? I guess I just see what happens and then go, go and help him out. So then he's looking down the hill to see what he might run into. And as, he's going, as he looks down the hill, he sees this little girl on a little tricycle riding across the street. And in that moment, the dad realized, my son is about to wreck this little girl. Like, he is flying directly to her. He's about to T-bone this girl, and it's going to be a far worse accident than I would have ever imagined. So he's even freaking out a little bit more, and he looks back at his son, and all he sees that his son does is he takes two yanks and flips this red wagon so that he crashes into the concrete. His dad rushes out to the son to start cleaning off the blood on his arms and checking for other wounds, and the son looks at his dad and says, the boy goes down, the girl rides free, dad. And guys, I'm telling you, man, if the kid we're having is a boy, and if he ever says that to me, I'm going to lose my mind. But we all know when we read something like this, like this is how it's meant to be for us men. Men in the room, we realize that our heart is not to serve ourselves, but to give ourselves up to die to ourselves for the sake of someone else. Not to pursue our own agenda, but actually to die to ourselves for the benefit of someone else. And Christ, because he is in you, he is inviting you and welcoming you into that form of life. That you no longer have to live for your own self, but you can actually die to yourself. And one day when you get married, you can continuously die to yourself for the sake of your bride to flourish. And he lays this out a little bit more for us. In verse 28. So he says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, 
So what he's saying is he's saying consider to care for your wife as much as you do your own self. So he's saying, don't just be so consumed about your own giftings and strengths, but I want you to be a student of your wife's strengths and giftings and constantly be seeking to build her up in those and give her a platform to flourish in those giftings. He's saying, like for me, after a a tiring day of work, I don't want to go home and sit on the couch. I don't care if it's Monday Night Football. Like I don't want to just do that. I actually want to pursue my bride and ask how she is doing on that given day. How is her walk with Jesus? Like I want to be speaking truth into her in that moment. I want to be leaning in to Paige's wisdom to to help lead and guide our family. Because guys, I'm telling you, most of the time, her wisdom is greater than mine. So I'm going with her option. Like a lot of the time, I'm leaning in to hear out her opinions and perspective to help lead this family. And what I want to say is that you are leaning in to care for her as if she is your own body because she is. When you get married, it talks about becoming one flesh in this passage. That is the reality. So you care for her as you do yourself. And what I want to point out, okay, I realize, again, none of you are in that scenario. None of you are like coming home after a hard day's work, ready to serve your wife, like you're just hanging out with the boys. Uh, I don't, I don't know, maybe talking about getting the PS5, whatever, for like a thousand bucks. But you're just hanging out with the boys, okay? That's not your existence right now. What I want to say is how can you be dying to yourself right now? A question, a question that I have for you is if someone were to ask you, men in the room, who is the greatest servant in your household, would you be the answer? Or are you the person, I mean, we all do it. We walk by the dishes. We're like, okay, I didn't use that pot. I didn't touch that plate. Uh, that cup definitely wasn't mine. I, my spoon, I washed it. That's it. Like, are you critiquing or are you just saying, I'm going to do the dishes? I'm going to serve the brothers in my life to die to myself for their sake. When you have a conversation with somebody, do they walk away just knowing more about your own life? Do they just walk away hearing all about what you're excited about, what's going hard? Or do they walk away and be like, man, I feel like, I feel like he asked questions about my life. I feel like he sought to know me better. Analyze the checklist that you might have in finding a spouse. Is it just body image? Is it what she can provide for you? Is it about social status? What is that checklist of things that you're demanding in a spouse to provide for you for her to be good enough? And I want to say throw away that checklist. Because what that blinds you to is actually looking at the character and the image of God in her life that is actually going to be the thing that grows more and more attractive throughout the course of your life. That is what's going to be sanctified to become more and more beautiful. So are you focusing on the character? And lastly, fight for purity. This is one of the most obvious ways of just dying to your own desires for the sake of the girl. Because what impurity does is it gives you an illusion that you're growing in depth where you're really just staying at the surface. How depth has grown is having conversations. It's having a relationship within community where you're learning to understand and grow in knowledge of one another. That is the call for you to live that out right now. That's what Christ is inviting you in. Because honestly, if we look at this, all of these things are just like, how do we follow Jesus? 
how do we follow him in, in our normal life? Like in, whether we get married or not, it is important for us to live these things out. And so he's calling that out for us to pursue right now. But what we see lastly is that marriage isn't the goal. Okay, marriage isn't everything. Marriage isn't what ultimately will make you happy. And actually, if you're pursuing marriage to make you happy, you will put an incredible weight on your spouse that they can't live up to, and you will be as discontent then as you are now in singleness. We see that this is pointing us to something greater. In verse 32, it says, The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Here's why it's important for us to realize that marriage isn't everything, but the bride of Christ and Christ pursuing after that bride is everything. Because you're going to fail. Like straight up. This is a very weighty and difficult call for both the wife and the husband, and we are going to fail. I fail all the time. But what I need to remember is that even though day in and day out I can see my own failures, day in and day out I can see her failures, and I can measure those up and I can compare those, Or I can look to the perfect groom who actually saw all of those failures and said, I'm still coming to die for you. I'm still coming to save you and realize that my identity is completely found in Christ and not in how I perform. And that's in everything in life. So if we fix our eyes on marriage, we will see how we fail to measure up. If we fix our eyes on the cross, we'll see how he measured up for us. And we'll realize That when we do this, when we fix our eyes on the perfect groom who came to die for his bride, we will begin to be affected by the grace and the forgiveness that he extended to us. And that will begin to trickle into a marriage to where the marriage becomes a window for people who do not know Jesus to look through to see the ultimate story of the groom that came to die for their brokenness. That they would come to know Jesus. And the exciting thing about singles as well, is that you've been changed from death to life. You've turned into the bride of Christ, into a position to where you are now made more and more like Jesus. Therefore, people get a window into the groom that came to die for their brokenness by looking at your life. And this is the ultimate importance and the mission of marriage that the gospel would be extended so that other people would draw, be drawn in to know and love Jesus more. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you, and I just feel, God, in my own heart, there's so much brokenness um, within myself. There's so much sin. There's so much selfishness, greed within myself. And God, if I focus on that, if I focus how, on how I perform, I will only feel deflated. But what we see in the gospel is that you look down on the brokenness of your bride and you said, I'm still willing to come and die for them. Not because they're beautiful, but in order to make them beautiful in my sight. And God, now we get to be brought in to relationship with you. And so I pray that anyone in this room who might be feeling like this distance who might be feeling like, man, they didn't measure up for you today, so they can't engage and enter in with you. Will they see that beautiful picture of the marriage that will happen one day, of you coming for them and dying in their place so that everything was finished, so that they might enjoy you and that we can feel freed up to know and love you. God, what an incredible reality it is that whether we are single the rest of our life, whether we are married the rest of our life, 
we get to be an example of you to the world. We get to carry out the mission of God so that other people would come to know and celebrate you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.